One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today, we are bringing the worst or the best, depending on how you like it, of the 90s to the 2010s for some reason. Um, and we're going to be talking about Duke Nukem Forever, the forever development hell it's uh definitely a play to the nostalgia slaves like myself of the 90s there was nothing bad about the 90s right alex everything was great no no it's just it was perfect time before the 2000s we were just eating taco bell and you know an all-purple restaurant and (laughs) burger king wasn't brown anymore I don't know why everything about that is fast food to me. I guess that's all the memories that I have in the 90s, other than Duke Nukem. Obviously, yep. a game yep. that uh, was put in development hell very famously. When this game was getting ready to come out, I mean, people were posting their receipts from the original GameStop pre-order. Mm-hmm. This was a highly anticipated game at the time, and then came out way too late for really not any reason other than they were like well uh we might as well it's really what it was i mean you had duke nukem 3d and you had another duke nukem game before that and they started to kind of roll off the presses for a minute and you know it seemed like they were going for a 2.5 or a 3 coming out and like more of this updated next gen realm off the, the n64 and getting less blocky graphics with it and it just past hands and past hands and past hands and built from the ground up for different game engines. I mean, it jumps several generations and it's unfortunate that it finally came out <laughs> because it's the unfortunate thing about <laughs> I it. I mean, but it did. It, it definitely came out way too late. So let, let's just jump into it. Duke Nukem Forever is a 2011 first person shooter game developed by 3D Realms and Gearbox Software and published by 2K Games for Windows, Mac OS X, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. It is the fourth main installment in the Duke Nukem series and the sequel to Duke Nukem 3D, which came out in 1996. Players control Duke Nukem as he comes out of retirement to battle an alien invasion. Duke Nukem Forever was announced in 1997 and underwent a troubled 14-year development with designer George Broussard repeatedly restarting development with new game engines and failing to provide a vision for the finished game. In 2009, after exhausting its capital, 3D Realm ceased development and laid off its team. Gearbox Software acquired the Duke Nukem intellectual property and completed development. 
Duke Nukem Forever was released on June 14th, 2011 to mostly unfavorable reviews. Critics criticized the graphics, dated humor and stories, simplistic mechanics, and unpolished performance and design. And so, Alex, this is kind of a game that it's a little bit of a turn for you and I. Usually we cover games that are very well received, highly influential. Mm -hmm. But the story behind Duke Nukem Forever is just the development cycle is just too interesting to not talk about. It really is. And like we said, I mean, it spans several decades, um, then finally comes out in the 2010s. And we wanted to talk about like when games can go bad, when the, the plug isn't pulled and it goes and goes and goes. And we have seen a couple of games really do that and we have not seen i would say a positive net outcome when it comes to like a development hell that eventually leads to a game released where you've basically had from the late 90s to the early 2010s several changes in technology several changes in culture and several changes in a variety of gameplay and, and when you're trying to like basically restart this several times with the same crew you're kind of getting the same results. And I, I, I do want to talk about 3D Realms a bit because this is a very respected studio in the late 80s, 90s um, that did put out good games. You know, it did put out these Duke Nukems that were made to kind of make fun of those 80s action heroes and go way over the top with it. Absolutely. And so let me dive into that real quick. And we'll start with Scott Miller who is a lifelong gamer who released his text-based video games as shareware in the 1980s. By 1988, the shareware business was a $10 to $20 million a year market, but the distribution method had never been tried for video games. Miller found that gamers were not willing to pay for something they could get for free, so he came up with the idea of offering only the opening levels of his games. Players could purchase the game to receive the rest. George Broussard, whom Miller met while he was in high school, joined Miller at the company Apogee, which published and marketed games developed by other companies. While Miller was quiet, with a head for business, Broussard was an enthusiastic, creative impresario. Apogee, from which a new brand name was made in 1994, 3D Realms, grew from a small startup to a successful corporation. Among the games they published was id Software's Commander Keen in 1990 and Wolfenstein 3D in 1992. Commander Keen was met with great success and inspired the development of many side-scrollers for the DOS platform, including many developed by Apogee and using the same engine that powered the Keen games. And Wolfenstein was highly successful, popularizing 3D gaming and establishing the FPS genre. In 1994, Roussard began working on 3D Realm's own FPS. Rather than the faceless marine of other games, players controlled as Duke Nukem, the protagonist of two 2D platform games from Apogee, Duke Nukem in 1991 and Duke Nukem 2 in 1992. Broussard described Duke as a combination of film stars John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. After a year and a half of work, Duke Nukem 3D was released in January 1996. Among game aspects that appealed to players were environmental interaction and adult content, including blood and strippers. Buoyed by the success, Broussard announced a follow-up, Duke Nukem Forever, 
3D Realms announced Duke Nukem Forever on April 27th in 1997. Barely a year after the release of Duke Nukem 3D, its graphics and its game engine, the build engine, were antiquated. For Forever, Broussard licensed its software's superior Quake 2 engine, and the licensing cost was steep. Estimates were as high as $500,000, but Broussard reasoned that it would save time used to write a new engine. Because the Quake 2 engine was not finished, 3D Realms began development with the Quake engine, planning to incorporate the Quake 2 features as they were completed. Broussard and Miller decided to fund Duke Nukem Forever using the profits from Duke Nukem 3D and other games, turning marketing and publishing rights over to GT Interactive. In August and September, the first screenshots of Duke Nukem Forever were released in PC Gamer. As 3D Realms did not receive the Quake 2 engine code until November 1997, the screenshots were mock-ups made with the Quake engine. 3D Realms unveiled the first video footage of Duke Nukem Forever using the Quake 2 engine at the 1998 E3 conference, showcasing Duke fighting on a moving truck with firefights and aliens. While critics were impressed, Broussard was not happy with the progress. Soon after E3, a programmer suggested that 3D Realms make the switch to Unreal Engine, a new engine developed by Epic Games. The Unreal Engine was more realistic than Quake 2 and was better suited to producing open spaces. 3D Realms had struggled to render the Nevada Desert, for example. They unanimously agreed to the change, which meant discarding much of their work, including significant changes they had made to the Quake 2 engine. So we see early on that they're already internally dealing with a lot of this. Like, well, we'll be on the Quake, then the Quake 2 will come out, and they're like, ooh, but Unreal's better. Yeah, let's scrap what we're doing, and like, let's, let's get on that, that next engine. Like, let's chase that next big thing, wasting a lot of time and money very early on. Yeah, it's definitely, it already feels mismanaged, mm-hmm. where you want to kind of be planning ahead for newer consoles, newer technology, if you can. but they were just sort of like, hey, there's a current thing now. Not really, I think, fully delving into the timeline and really planning out what they wanted for this game. And I think the visionary part is what really led to this very, very delayed release. I mean, and that's basically what it was because in June 1998, 14 months after announcing that they would use the Quake 2 engine, 3D Realms announced they had switched to Unreal. Broussard said that Duke Nukem Forever would not be significantly delayed (laughs) and would be back to where it was at E3 within a month to six weeks, so a month, month and a half. He also said that no content seen in the E3 trailer would be lost. However, according to programmer Chris Hargrove, the change amounted to a complete restart. Ooh, indeed. Yeah. By the end of 1999, so a year and a half after we switched, Duke Nukem Forever had missed several release dates and was largely unfinished. Half of its weapons remained concepts. Broussard responded to criticisms of the development time as the price of modern game development. It's, you know, it is what it is, baby. A significant factor contributing to the protracted development was that Broussard was continually looking to add new elements. 3D Realms employees would joke that they had to stop Broussard from seeing new games, as he would want to include portions of it in Duke Nukem Forever. And later, in 99, Broussard decided to upgrade to a new version of the Unreal Engine 
and designed it for multiplayer. Employees recalled that Broussard did not have a plan for what the game would look like. At the same time, GT Interactive, who was the one that's doing their marketing, was facing higher than expected losses and hired Bear Stearns to look into selling the company or merging it. Later that year, Infogrames Entertainment announced that it was purchasing a controlling interest in GT Interactive. The publishing rights for Duke Nukem Forever passed to gathering of developers in early December 2000. So, Broussard was essentially... I, I Duke Nukem is a satire, but Broussard was essentially saying, I'm going to develop a state-of-an-art game and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> and good games. <laughs> <laughs> to placate anxious fans, Broussard decided to create another trailer for E3 2001, the first public showing in three years. The video showed a couple of minutes of footage, including a Las Vegas setting, and a demonstration of the player interacting with a vending machine to buy a sandwich. Riveting. Mm -hmm. The trailer impressed viewers, and Duke Nukem was the talk of the convention. IGN reported on the graphics, quote, characters come to life with picturesque facial animations that are synced perfectly with speech, hair that swings as they bob their heads, eyes that follow gazes, and more. The particle effects system, meanwhile, boasts impressive explosion effects with shimmering fire, shattered glass, and blood spilt in every direction. Add in real-time lighting effects, interactive environments, and a variation in locales unequaled in any other first-person shooter, and you begin to see and understand why Duke Nukem Forever has been one of the most hotly anticipated titles over the last couple of years. Staff at 3D Realms recalled a sense of elation after the presentation. Quote, we were so far ahead of other people at the time. While many staff expected Broussard to make a push for finishing the game, he still didn't have a finished product in mind. Following the death of one of the gathering of developers' co-founders and continuing financial problems, their Texas offices were shut down and absorbed into parent company Take-Two Interactive. By 2003, only 18 people at 3D Realms were working on Duke Nukem Forever. One former employee said that Broussard and Miller were still operating on a 1995 mentality. All that purple Taco Bell, Alex. Mm -hmm. Before games became large team, you know, big budget development affairs. And because they were financing the project themselves, the developers could also ignore pressure from their publisher. Their standard reply to when Duke Nukem Forever would ship was, when it's done. In 2003, Take-Two CEO Jeffrey Lapin reported that the game would not be out that year. And he said that the company was writing off $5.5 million from its earnings due to Duke Nukem Forever's lengthy development. Broussard responded that Take-Two needs to STFU. We don't want Take-Two saying stupid-ass things in public for the sole purposes of helping their stock. It's our time and our money we are spending on the game. So either we're absolutely stupid and clueless, or we believe in what we are working on. Ooh. Later that year... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely a quote, right? It's a quote. Later that year... Lapin said 3D Realms had told him that Duke Nukem Forever was expected by the end of 2004 or the beginning of 2005. And 
that's great. Like, hey, like, hey, devs, it's our money. We want it when we need it. Call J.G. Wentworth is basically what they said. <laughs> and it's true and it's not true. Obviously, Take-Two is also investing in it. They're investing in the offices, the time, the staffing, and a couple other things. So end of 04, early 05, fine. We got something on the books. But in 2004, GameSpot reported that Duke Nukem Forever had switched to the Doom 3 engine. Many gaming news sites mailed Broussard, asking him to confirm or deny the rumor. After receiving no answer from him, they published the rumor as fact. But Broussard explicitly denied it soon after. Soon after 3D Realms replaced the game's Karma Physics system with one designed by Meikwan, a relatively unknown Swedish firm. Closed doors demonstrations of the technology suggested that the physics would be superior to the critically acclaimed Half-Life 2. Rumors suggested the game would appear at the 2005 E3 convention. While 3D Realms' previously canceled Prey was shown, Duke Nukem Forever was not. Broussard said in January 2006, so eh, we missed that 05 window. We're getting there. We're getting there, man. We're getting there. But just give me uh, like five, six, seven, uh, I don't know. It'll be done when it's done. Give me a little more time. Look, either I'm stupid or (laughs) I love this game. (laughs) Or I love this game. It's going to be the greatest game ever. But Broussard said in January 2006 that many of Duke Nukem Forever's elements were finished and that the team was, quote, basically plugging it all together and trying to make it fun. Later that year, Broussard demonstrated samples of the game, including an early level, a vehicle sequence, and a few test rooms. Among the features seen was the interactive use of an in-game computer to send actual emails. Broussard seemed contrite and affected by the long delays. While a journalist demoed the game, Broussard referenced note cards and constantly apologized for the state of the game. In filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Take-Two revealed they had renegotiated the Duke Nukem Forever deal, with Take-Two receiving $4.25 million instead of $6 million on the release of the game. Take-Two offered a $500,000 bonus if Duke Nukem Forever was released by 2007. So Take-Two is like, listen, we're going to take a cut on our profits when it comes out, and here's $500,000 if you just do it this year. Like, just, <laughs> just please do something. Yeah. They're trying to incentivize them because they not only are they dealing with a product that's costing them money, but also Broussard is kind of ripping them in public. Yeah. And saying, look, you guys need to stay out of my business. I know about the Duke Nukem world. You know who doesn't know about the Duke Nukem (laughs) world? Take two. Yeah. You could take that to the bank. And it's amazing that, you know, that's happening. Because, again, yes, they're funding it themselves, they say. But Take-Two is still funding a lot of it. They're dealing with PR disasters of it. They don't want this game under their name of, like, here's a failed product that we're working with. Just get it out there. So, And they had definitely passed, I think, the deadline even at this point. Because there's a certain relevance to a game. Duke Nukem was kind of that fun thing in the 90s that was a joke. It was satire. And after a while, it's like... Yeah, this could become a franchise, but sure. I mean, you're talking 99. Now we're <laughs> we're saying it's been almost eight years, and 
especially for, you know, this is probably more normal in today's gaming development cycle, but back sure. then, no way. No, especially when you have Duke 1 out in 91, Duke 2 in 92, Duke 3D in 94, and or 96, excuse me, and they're like, 97, we're going to announce it's going to come out, and it's like, sure, maybe three years or so, you can get like a 3D-based game, get that rolling, but you're like, please, by 2007, just put it out. Right. But Broussard said that 3D Realms did not care about the bonus and would, quote, never ship a game early. Hey, man, he's out of bubble gum. He's out of bubble gum and money. <laughs> <laughs> Staff were tired of the delays. Duke Nukem Forever was the only 3D game many had ever worked on, giving them little to put on a resume. And as much as 3D Realms' payment hinged on profit sharing after release, the continual delays meant deferred income. By August 2006, between 7 and 10 employees had left since 2005, a majority of the Duke Nukem Forever team, which by this point had shrunk to around 18 staff. While Shaq News speculated that the departures would lead to further delays, 3D Realms denied this, stating that the employees had left over a number of months and that the game was moving ahead. Creative director Raphael Van Leerup, hired in 2007, played through the completed content and realized that there was more finished than he expected, and Leerup told Broussard that he felt they could push the game and blow everyone out of the water, but Broussard felt it was still two years from completion. The delay strained Broussard and Miller's relationship. By the end of 2006, Broussard appeared to become serious about finishing the game. Just now. In Just now. Just now. <laughs> On January 25th and May 22nd, 2007, Broussard posted two Gamasutra job ads with small screenshots of Duke Nukem and an enemy. The team quickly doubled in size. Among the new hires was project lead Brian Hook, who became the first person to resist Broussard's request for changes. So maybe that, that was a little bit of the issue, is that this person was being challenged, but not challenged enough because Broussard was coming back and, and challenging back. And sometimes you need a person who's willing to go head-to-head yeah. -head to say, hey, no, man, sorry. I get where you're coming from. You want this to be state-of-the-art when it comes out. And I'm sure that there's a little bit of a pressure that builds within that, too, because you've put it off for so long that, when it comes out, unless it's perfect, then, you know, the expectations were too high. It's 100% that. I mean, it's 100% of building up, like, like you said, like, Broussard kind of went unchallenged for a while. He's like, nah, it's not good. Nah, get out of here. You don't know games. I know games. Now you have somebody like, dude, no, it has to release. Kind of, kind of need that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, 
you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. On December 19th, 2007, 3D Realms released the first Duke Nukem Forever trailer in more than six years. It was made by 3D Realms employees as part of holiday festivities. While Broussard refused to give a release date, he said that, quote, you can expect more frequent media releases and we have considerable work behind us. While the Dallas Business Journal reported a 2008 release date, Broussard said that this was based on a misunderstanding. In-game footage appeared in the 2008 premiere episode of the Jace Hall Show, filmed entirely on handheld cameras, but not originally expected to be publicly released. The video showed host Jason Hall playing of a level at 3D Realms offices, and the footage was shot six months prior to the episode air date. According to Broussard, it contained particle and combat effects that had since been replaced. The game did not appear at E3 2008, which Miller described as irrelevant. As Duke Nukem Forever neared completion, funding began to deplete. Having spent more than $20 million of their own money, Broussard and Miller asked Take-Two for $6 million to complete the game. According to Broussard and Miller, Take-Two initially agreed, but then only offered $2.5 million. Take-Two maintained that they offered $2.5 million up front and another $2.5 million on completion. Broussard rejected the counteroffer. And on May 6, 2009, suspended development. 3D Realms laid off the Duke Nukem Forever staff on May 8, 2009, due to lack of funding. Inside sources claimed it would operate as a smaller company. Take-Two stated that they retained the publishing rights for Duke Nukem Forever, but were not funding it. Previously unreleased screenshots, concept art, pictures of models, and a goodbye message from 3D Realms were posted by alleged former employees. Similar leaks followed after May 8, 2009. In 2009, Take-Two filed a lawsuit against 3D Realms over their failure to complete Duke Nukem Forever, citing $12 million paid to Infogrames in 2000 for the publishing rights. 3D Realms argued that they had not received the money, and as it was a direct agreement between Infogrames and Take-Two, it's kind of null and void between them. The lawsuit seemed to be over a contractual breach, but not regarding the $12 million. Take-Two asked for a restraining order and a preliminary injunction to make 3D Realms keep the Duke Nukem Forever assets intact during proceedings, but the court denied the request for a temporary restraining order. In December 2009, Miller denied that development had ceased and confirmed only that the team had been laid off. Around this time, a former 3D Realms staff member released a showreel with footage of Duke Nukem Forever. It was mistaken for a trailer, which, rightfully so, confused the public. And the video was taken down shortly after. 3D Realms planned to hire an external developer to complete the game while continuing to downsize, and ended development on another game, Duke Begins. An unofficial compilation of gameplay footage was also released in December 2009, and by 2010, 3D Realms and Take-Two had settled the lawsuit and dismissed it with prejudice. Despite the discontinuation of internal game development at 3D Realms, development did not cease entirely. Nine ex-employees, including key personnel such as Alan Bloom, continued development throughout 2009 from their homes. These employees would later become Triptych Games, 
an independent studio housed in the same building as Gearbox with whom they collaborated on the project. After ceasing internal game development, 3D Realms approached game developers Gearbox Software and asked them if they were interested in helping Triptych Games polish the near-finished PC version and port it to the consoles. Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford, who had worked on an expansion to Duke Nukem 3D and very briefly on Forever before he left to found Gearbox, felt that, quote, Duke can't die, and decided that he was going to help in Duke's time of need. He started providing funding for the game and contacted 2K Games president to persuade his company that Gearbox and Triptych could complete the development of the game and get it released on all platforms in time. Duke Nukem Forever was originally intended to be a PC-exclusive game, however 2K and Gearbox had hired Piranha Games to port the game designed for PC to Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 and added multiplayer to raise sales. The game was reannounced at the Penny Arcade Expo 2010 on September 3rd, 2010. It was the first time in the game's development history that gamers were able to actually try the game. According to Pitchford, the line had gotten up to four hours long to see the game. Gearbox Software subsequently purchased the Duke Nukem intellectual property from 3D Realms, and 2K Games held the exclusive long-term publishing rights of the game. Development was almost complete, with only minor polishing to be done before the game was to be released in 2011. A playable demo of Duke Nukem Forever was released once Gearbox figured out the timing, with purchasers of the Game of the Year edition of Borderlands gaining early access. The demo is unexpectedly different from the versions available at PAX and First Look. Those that purchased Borderlands on Valve's Steam prior to October 12, 2010 got the code for the demo without the need to buy the Game of the Year edition and were able to subsequently play it. Duke Nukem Forever was initially scheduled for release on May 3rd in the United States and May 6th internationally, and after a couple more delays, was finally released on June 14th in North America and June 10th worldwide, nearly four weeks after the game had gone gold. <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an insanely interesting development cycle. And in all honesty, you can really, really blame Broussard for <sighs> everything, I would say. I feel for him a little bit. Sure. Because I do think that video games are an art even if they're satirical and silly and, and whatever else. Sure. And he wanted this game to have the, the fun action qualities of those 80s action heroes and at the same time be a state-of-the-art video game. That's a very difficult balance, I think, to make, and I think he was maybe being a little bit unrealistic with his yeah. team and his capabilities of being able to accomplish all those things in time. But you need someone from the parent company to step in and say, look, you got to put this game out because it really does. I think the pressure mounts when you say, hey, it's 99. Oh, no, I think we need to wait a little bit longer because the technology is getting better. It's going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then you do that year after year after year after year. All you're doing is really putting pressure on yourself to release a 10 out of 10 game. And you don't need to release a 10 out of 10 game. Yeah. You just need to release the game that you promised originally. 
to the best of your abilities. And yeah, an interesting development cycle because of that. But I think that there's a little bit of hubris in there that prevented this game from being released. Absolutely. It, it's very, it, Broussard is very much like a gearhead. Got to chase the next best thing. The new release of this piece of equipment, whether, you know, it's a camera, a guitar, the new, the new console system. I got to chase it and be better. I got to be the best. Got to be the, the highest end. 3D Realms probably would still be a pretty sizable studio if they just released that game and then released four other Duke Nukems after that. Absolutely. I think if this game came out originally as planned, Duke Nukem is a not-so-tarnished title. I really think that releasing this game when they did yeah. really hurt the Duke Nukem legacy. I think it, it kind of killed it, and it made it a joke. Oh, absolutely. Beyond what it was already. Like I said, 14 years after, it has to be a 10 out of 10. It has to be beyond next gen. It has to be breaking the mold. It has to be something that we haven't seen in the last 14 years. It really does. And when you play it and you're like, yeah, this is just generic game with Duke Nukem slapped on top of it. Like, there's nothing groundbreaking or special about this. Yeah. Cool, I get a pee in a toilet. Neat. Like awesome like does that that's such an right we're so far beyond that culturally that it just it just didn't hit it just didn't work exactly if that had happened in the 90s i think it would have been great but punching your enemies you know in the crotch to knock them out and whatever else was in this game i mean come on you've got master chief you've got all these really iconic first person shooter characters and games coming out at a certain point, you just have to accept, like, the time has passed. And, you know, you missed your shot. Yeah. And that's okay. The Duke Nukem Forever launch trailer was released on June 2nd, 2011. A playable demo was released on June 3rd, 2011. And Duke Nukem Forever was released in a special Balls of Steel edition. With items including a 5-inch bust of Duke Nukem, a 100-page art book, the comic, stickers, and poker chips. Themes and avatars were also sold for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. 2K Games launched a website titled BoobTube to promote the game. On May 19, 2011, a Flash game was released on the website, Duke Nudum, where players shoot targets against a woman. If successful, clothing is removed from the woman until she is topless. 2K released a Duke Nukem Forever soundboard for iOS, including a number of Duke Nukem's phrases to be played back. Duke Nukem Forever was made available a day early on June 9th from all retailers after the street date was broken. And so, just in the marketing alone, you can see how out of touch this game and it had really become, and their vision yeah. for it had really become. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, when you hire a marketing company that does release a lot of trailers and variations of it, and then for your final release, like, this is it. You're like, okay, I mean... I mean, look, we, we did Con Conqueror's Bad Fur Day uh, just a few episodes ago, and they've got, like... Uh, the urinal guards mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. a bunch of advertising on it. That, that worked great for the time, but this kind of stuff in 2011, it, it wasn't great. And everyone was already aware of Duke Nukem forever. It, it wasn't something that yeah. really necessarily needed marketing. Everyone was aware of the story, and it got a lot of uh, natural marketing just from people posting 
hey, I pre-ordered this game a long time ago, and now it's finally coming out. Like, you really mm-hmm. didn't have to do a lot to do stuff like this. I think it's just totally unnecessary. Absolutely. And I think they just mishandled it. And, like, even if you brought back Conker's marketing things of, like, in bars, urinal cakes, ridiculous stuff like that, that would have been better than, like, let's make a Flash game that kids will love because this was the 90s baby like it just it just doesn't hit and like i think it is such a precursor to like the actual game it's just such a it's out of touch fall, it's out of touch falling on, it's, it's falling on deaf ears for a lot of that stuff of just like not understanding it so let's let's break down the gameplay uh, again it does harken back a little bit a little bit to Duke Nukem 3D, but we'll break it down for you. So in Duke Nukem Forever, players control Duke Nukem and navigate a series of levels which take place on Earth and beyond. The game allows the player to interact with various in-game objects, including water coolers, urinals, whiteboards, which allows their player to draw their own image, so you can actually like move your cursor or move your stick and draw something on the whiteboard, allowing you to draw what everyone pretty much draws. (laughs) <laughs> the gameplay is similar in some respects to the first-person shooter games of the late 90s and early 2000s, with each level culminating in a boss battle in which Duke has to fight and kill a large, significant alien. You drew nuns, right? That's what oh, I drew. I, I, I just drew um, happy faces. Yeah. That were just loving everything. Faces. That's all. Absolutely. Unlike the previous games, Duke can only hold two weapons at any one time. So that's bringing it to the modern era of like kind of like in Halo, two guns to hold instead of like original 3D Duke that holds all of his guns that you can cycle through. Yeah. Although pipe bombs and laser tripwires are considered inventory items and as such are not limited by this restriction. The PC version allows Duke to hold four weapons in the single player campaign, though. Items that have an effect on Duke can be picked up by the player. These items are steroids, beer, and the hollow Duke. Steroids increase the strength of Duke's melee attacks by a great deal for a limited time. Beer makes Duke more resistant to damage, but blurs the screen. The Hollow Duke creates a hologram of Duke Nukem that looks and acts in a very similar way to Duke, but often says slightly twisted versions of his one-liners. While the Hollow Duke is in effect, Duke becomes invisible, and the AI characters do not recognize his presence. The jetpack also returns, but only in multiplayer. Instead of the health system featured in the previous Duke Nukem games, in which health would be depleted when Duke was injured, it would only increase upon finding a health pack, very much Wolfenstein 3D. Drinking water from fountains and broken hydrants, urinating, all these different things. Duke Nukem actually employs a system involving an ego bar for the new one. The ego bar depletes when Duke is attacked. Once it is fully depleted, Duke becomes susceptible to damage. Dying will result upon taking too much damage and cause the game to reload the last checkpoint. If the player avoids further damage, then the Ego Bar and Duke's health are restored. Again, bringing you back to that modern era of, like, Call of Duty Red Screen to nothing, Halo Shields regenerate, basically trying to take those points into this game. The player can increase the size of their Ego Bar, thus increasing the amount of damage Duke can take, by interacting with certain objects throughout the game, for example, a mirror, and by defeating bosses. The game employs a save system that is solely based on checkpoints. So, yeah, a uh, little bit of dated gameplay mechanics, I would mm-hmm. say, in terms of what people find interesting, but 
to each their own. Broussard. Sure. Now, of course, let's get into the plot. One of the most important parts of any yeah. satirical uh, released game, 12 years too late type of first person shooter. <laughs> yes. 12 years after he saved the Earth from an alien invasion, Duke Nukem is a worldwide icon and has achieved great fame from his heroic deeds, becoming a successful businessman and celebrity multimillionaire. After sampling a video game based on his past heroics, the game Duke plays is a revamped version of the final level of the third episode of Duke Nukem 3D, by the way, a little Easter egg there. There you go. He arrives on the set of a talk show for an interview. On his way to the show, Duke witnesses a news broadcast announcing that aliens have once again invaded. Unlike previous encounters, the aliens initially appear peaceful and at first seem to pose no harm to the humans of Earth. Duke's talk show appearance is canceled to allow television stations to cover the alien invasion, and Duke retires to the Duke Cave, his home. There he receives a call from the President and General Graves of the Earth Defense Force, or the EDF. The President orders Duke not to harm the invaders and adds that he is in diplomatic talks with the alien overlord. Duke obliges this request, but he and Graves remain uneasy about the whole situation from the start. Before he can leave his chambers, he is attacked by hostile aliens who are swearing revenge on Duke. Duke is forced to disobey the president's orders and fight his way through the alien hordes in an effort to save Earth. While fighting through his casino, Duke witnesses the aliens abducting women, including his two live-in pop star girlfriends. Graves tells Duke that the women are being held in the Duke Dome and that the aliens have a vendetta to settle with Duke. He also warns Duke that the aliens are using the Hoover Dam to power a wormhole so more aliens can come through. Duke travels to the Duke Dome, using a wrecking ball to damage the building to gain access. Inside, he finds swarms of octobrains and the missing women, who have been impregnated with alien spawn. Duke's girlfriends die after giving birth to alien babies, infuriating Duke. And Duke finds the alien queen in control of the Duke Dome and kills her, but is wounded in the process and blacks out. After regaining consciousness... Duke fights pig cops and aliens through the Duke Burger. Soon, he travels to the Hoover Dam in his monster truck. After battling through the dam, he finds his old friend Dylan, mortally wounded. He tells Duke that the reborn cycloid emperor's at the dam, and that the only way to shut down the portal is to completely destroy the dam. Before dying, he gives Duke his demolition charges and wishes him luck. Duke places the explosives and destroys the dam, but the currents nearly drown him. Duke is revived by an EDF soldier and awakens to find the portal gone. The president, who is also at the dam, rages at Duke for ruining his plans to work with the Cycloid Emperor, revealing that the president was actually intending to have the aliens kill Duke, and he would cooperate with Cycloid Emperor so he would, could control the Earth, and that he has ordered a nuclear strike at the site of the dam to wipe out the remaining aliens, intending to leave Duke there to die as revenge for foiling his plans. The Cycloid Emperor emerges and kills the president in a security detail, revealing that he intended to kill the president after the deal. Duke kills the Cycloid Emperor and is rescued by Graves just as the nuclear bombs explode. The game ends with a satellite surveying the detonation area and listing Duke Nukem as KIA, to which Duke replies off-screen, What kind of shit ending is that? I ain't dead. 
I'm coming back for more. In a post-credits scene, a short video depicts a press conference where Duke announces his intent to run to be the 69th president of the United States. Please, please don't come back for more. Threat Level Midnight by Michael Scott. It's a better plot. I was about to say, it's pretty close to Threat Level Midnight is kind of how this is written. <laughs> it, um, I, I will it's be honest, really I, did actually play, I did actually own and play this game on the Xbox 360. It yeah. is just as bad as what we read. Yeah. I mean, you, you hope that maybe in like a summary like this, there's a little bit of you're skipping details or whatever, but no. No. Everything is as it seems. It's really... It's just not good. I don't know. It's not, but but Derek, you you say I would love more Duke Nukem content. I heard you say that right after I finished that. I love you, Duke Nukem. Yes. Um. You may have misheard me. Maybe it's I, a filter I, issue. I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's come through Discord weird when we're on this, so it's probably what it is. But <laughs> there is some DLC that you can get, um, in the aptly named the Doctor Who cloned me. So in the DLC, The Doctor Who Cloned Me, Duke wakes up after the nuclear explosion and finds himself alive, but trapped in a strange laboratory while video recordings of himself declaring his bid for presidency play on monitors. After escaping, Duke discovers that not only are the aliens continuing their invasion, but his old nemesis, Dr. Proton, who was the antagonist of the original Duke Nukem game, has returned and is building an army of robotic Duke clones to fight the aliens and conquer Earth himself. Duke infiltrates Proton's laboratory in Area 51 by posing as one of the clones. Eventually, Proton spots him and attacks Duke, but he escapes and is reunited with Dylan, who is revealed as still being alive. And with Dylan's help, Duke locates and kills Dr. Proton. General Graves then communicates with Duke to inform him that the aliens are being bred by an alien empress that is nesting on the moon. After finding a teleporter leading up to the moon, Duke commandeers a moon rover and destroys the alien empress, saving Earth and its women once again. Alex, uh, remind me, yeah. how many years was this game in development? 14. 14 years, and, it's, and it's, this was the plot. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, it's a it's a very sophomoric story. It's again, it goes down that kind of like '90s esque humor of it that does not ring true in 2011. I mean, and I love the '90s, and and even like I could see something now getting released and being like, "Oh, it's just making fun of the '90s." Like, I'm definitely able to do that. But this is one of those things that's just bad all around. I don't know. And and here's the thing. Duke Nukem 3D holds a place in my heart. It's ridiculous. It's dumb. It does not fit the current times, but it was made for that era. This was made for that era, but came out later. So it is a 2011 game that should be a 1997 game in terms of writing. Yep. And it wasn't. Back and when video games were way less, you know, now we have these very big theatrical things, especially in, you know, the last, I'd say, 10 years probably. About the time that this came out, it's like a big theatrical experience. It's definitely not this. It's not these one-off little fun games. And if they are one-off little fun games, they're more like indie titles, not AAA stuff. I mean, that's absolutely it. I mean, you've got the later Halos coming out. You've got Call of Duty switching to a lot of story mode with stuff. 
for FPSs in, in general, as as far as coming out with like these, like you said, like theatrical releases in a way. Duke tries it. I will say that Duke tries it. I I, I played the game through. It's fine, um, but they do try it. Like like this, the the Duke Dome is a football stadium, and so it is larger than life. Like they're trying and go over the top with it. They try it. You you can't fault Gearbox for putting that in there, but. It was dead. It, it, it was dead in the water in 98. A year after they started this, it was already dead in the water when you have Broussard trying to be like, no, it's got to be the best and the brightest, best engine ever. It just didn't work. And they tried it with DLC. Like you said, we talked about the Doctor Who clone me. And then you also had a couple more things in DLC per se. You had, of course, going along with this humor, Duke's big package. So, in North America, the video game retailer GameStop promised exclusive in-game content for customers pre-ordering Duke Nukem Forever. The exclusive content, known as Duke's Big Package, allowed the player from the start of the game to access big heads, the ego boost, and custom in-game t-shirts. A code printed on the final receipt could, at the time of release, be activated over Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, and Steam. Hail to the Icons parody pack, contains three new game modes and four new multiplayer maps, each with new weapons. And it was available on the PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, and Steam on October 11th, 2011. And as we said, the Doctor Who cloned me was the single-player campaign edition. Um, It included new weapons, enemies, and bosses. It also included four new multiplayer maps. It was released on December 13th, 2011. It holds a score of 52 out of 100 on Metacritic, and a 58 out of 100 on Xbox 360. GameSpy gave it a 1.5 out of 5. OXM gave it a 4 out of 10, and Eurogame gave it a 5 out of 10, stating, Duke's trying his best, but there's still too much of the past hanging around holding him back. So, it was more content. We can say that. In this day and age of everyone creating content, it was more. (laughs) That's the positive. It was more yeah yeah that's that's too much for me to get into right now so i'll just move into the general reception duke nukem forever sold three hundred and seventy-six thousand three hundred physical units in its first month that is three hundred and seventy-six thousand three hundred physical units more than it should have sold (laughs) yep Take-Two Interactive, the parent company of 2K Games, revealed in July 2011 that the game sales were half of their initial expectations. <laughs> How, however, yep. however, in an earnings call on August 8, 2011, Take-Two stated that Duke Nukem Forever would prove to be profitable for the company. On Metacritic, Duke Nukem Forever has a score of 49 out of 100, indicating generally unfavorable reviews. Criticism focused on the long loading times, clunky controls, offensive humor, and overall aging and dated design. Elton Jones of Complex named it one of the most disappointing games of 2011. Jim Sterling, review editor for Destructoid, said it was like a disease and named it the, quote, shittiest game of 2011. Ben Yahtzee Croshaw, creator of Zero Punctuation, named it the worst game of 2011 after Battlefield 3 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Many critics disliked the level design and shooting. Kevin Van Ord of GameSpot felt that the joy of the game shooting has been flattened with little sense of impact. Finding the overall design tedious, 
He called Duke Nukem Forever a bad, boring, bargain bin kind of game. Eurogamer wrote that few of the locations inspired the sort of exploration and excitement that made Duke 3D such a memorable experience. Duke Nukem Forever is linear to a fault, and huge chunks of the game are spent simply walking from one fight to another through uninspired corridors. IGN criticized the frequent first-person platforming segments that make up an unnecessarily large percentage of the story mode, although they stated the shooting sections are simple fun. GamesRadar concluded that Duke Nukem Forever's world record development time has produced an ugly, buggy shooter that veers back and forth between enjoyably average and outright boring, with occasional surges of greatness along the way. GamePro felt that unexpected moments are really the game's biggest strengths, but they're few and far between. Xplay gave the game a 1 out of 5, criticizing the graphics, load time, number of enemies on screen, the multiplayer, being called an afterthought, the game's creepy, hateful view of women, and the hive level, with Adam Sessler saying that this is all just played for laughs. Yeah, many reviewers question the design choices in comparison to Duke Nukem 3D, with Kotaku stating that, quote, old school shooters... And this is definitely trying to be one of those with its basic AI and lack of cover mechanics always had two great things going for them. Speed and a ridiculous arsenal of weapons. Forever eschews this in favor of a plodding pace and two guns. Noting that its negative mix with modern shooter conventions, the escapist agreed, quote, having been almost cryo-frozen for more than a decade, then awoken and peppered with modern touches, Duke Nukem Forever feels so out of place. Another common criticism was with the game's lack of technical sophistication, including inconsistent graphics and unacceptably long loading times, which game trailers called unholy. Eric Nair of GameSpy found the console versions took up to 40 seconds to load a level, and podcaster Alex Kendall also agrees with that because he had to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that Not- super fan on your console. Listen, got to get it. Oh, yeah, you got to pull that thing off. Got to save them two seconds in there. Nair also criticized the game's multiplayer mode as unplayable without serious lag spikes. Edge commented that the myriad of technical shortcomings, particularly prevalent on the console ports, only get worse the further you progress into the campaign. A view echoed by Game Revolution with, quote, when they started on the design, that tech was already outdated. The PC version has since been patched to greatly decrease loading times and to add two optional inventory slots. The use of the series' trademark humor received a mixed response. In one regard, some critics such as Team Xbox praised the voice work of John St. John, who did an excellent job as always with Duke's persona, while others such as Machinima.com appreciated the comedic gameplay tips and pop culture references However, the same critic also noted that parts of the narrative and dialogue show clear evidence of the game's elongated development. Many pop culture references refer to media in the early 2000s, with one-liners co-opted from guy movies like Old School, Highlander, and Commando, which in itself could cause blank stares for most of the current potential audience. Australian gaming website PalGN felt the game was saved only by its humor and nostalgic value. Official Xbox Magazine UK thought that the humor isn't so much offensive or misogynistic as just suffering from an adolescent fixation with boobs and crowbarred in innuendo. 
Joystick noted that the game's multiplayer mode, Capture the Babe, involving spanking a woman into submission, really is as painful as it sounds. One particular section that received considerable criticism is the Hive level, in which Duke encounters abducted women who have been forcibly impregnated with aliens. Duke has to kill them before the alien's birth. Both the level itself and the inclusion of disembodied, slappable wall boobs were listed in Game Radar's eight worst moments in Duke Nukem Forever. OXM noted that it doesn't mesh with the rest of the game's tone at all. And the fact that Duke remains unfazed and continues to crack jokes about the situation was considered outright revolting, which led to labeling Duke a thoroughly detestable psychopath by 1UP and Destructoid, respectively. Ben Yahtzee Croshaw in a Zero Punctuation review noted that the level is as jarring a shift of tone as you can get without splicing five minutes of the human centipede into the middle of Mallrats. Quite a few critics cited the long and fragmented development time as a major factor in the finished product. In a positive review, PC Gamer noted that years of anticipation will spoil Duke Nukem Forever for some, adding, quote, there's no reinvention of the genre here. No real attempt at grandeur. Check unrealistic expectations at the door and forget the ancient hyperbolic promises of self-deluded developers. And concluded, quote, don't expect a miracle. Duke is still the hero we love, but struggles to keep up with modern times. Game Informer, while disappointed in the game, concluded, I'm glad Gearbox stepped up and finished this game, but after hearing about it for 12 years, I have no desire to relive any of it again. I'm now satisfied in my knowledge of what Duke Nukem Forever is and ready to never talk about it again. Welcome back, Duke. I hope your next game, which is teased after the credits, goes off without a hitch. Giant Bomb, however, concluded that for those part of the faction that finds yourself so fascinated by this whole project that you need to know how it ends, I recommend you play Duke Nukem Forever for yourself but I'd practically insist that you do so on the PC and try to wait for a sale. If you're not willing to play a sloppy, cobbled-together first-person shooter just because it has some kind of weird historical meaning, though, just forget this ever happened and move on. Jake Denton of Computer and Video Games wrote that parts of the game were fun to play and listed it as one of the five most underrated games of 2011, <laughs> while admitting the game's overall faulty structure. Okay, Jake. Also, Joseph Milney of FPSGuru.com featured the game on his list of top five underrated games at number four on the list. So, I mean, some one, wildly different approaches. Yeah, I'm going to have to say that for both of those content creators and reviewers, that that was probably more of the shock and awe value that they wanted to go for. Like, oh, it's really not that bad. Like... You know, try again. It's being contrarian. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's it, and, it's everyone it's like, saying this game is the worst, but I'm gonna tell you, it's really not. And here's yeah, why. it's underrated. It's got some good guns. It's got some good stuff. And the shooting again, the shooting for me, fine. It is. I mean, as that reviewer said, it's it's a bargain bin game. It's fine. It runs. Like again, this for me like we had talked about before, is boom, it's Friday night, baby. I got the night to myself. What am I going to do? I'm going to rent a game from Blockbuster way back when. <laughs> Ooh, my, the games I want are all checked out. All the hot new titles are out. What's this? Duke Nukem game. 
I've been under a rock and haven't heard anything I about mean, it, so I guess I'll pick this up. This is right up there. Like, if you and I were going to rent this game, it's like Earth Defense Force. Maybe yes. if this game had come out even just in 2007, you and I probably rent this game on a Friday and play it together and just have a ball, you know, playing something that we know is stupid and fun. And, and we have I, a better, guess, more positive experience with it. But here, I guess here's the issue I have with that, though. Having played EDF, great series, and then Duke Nukem stealing EDF to put in their game, bad series. Um, <laughs> Earth Defense Force is a silly, dumb game that knows it's silly, dumb in terms of its controls, its weapons, and it, it leaned into that silly Japanese game style. Yeah. Duke Nukem tried to be a serious AAA contender yeah. that is funny because it is bad and they didn't want it to be bad. It, it, it's, it's, it's that split down the middle difference of it that's... The that, lack that of awareness. That doesn't give you that charm. Yeah, the lack of awareness that, that knows it's bad. It's, it's the lack of charm in knowing that it's bad. And it's like, no, no, no. Master Chief, I don't need power armor. He sucks. Doom yeah. guy, more like poop guy. Like, <laughs> okay like i guess i mean it's, it's <laughs> I not fun. i don't know if it, he it, says that in game but that's a pretty sweet burn it's pretty Doom guy more like poop guy it's, it's pretty it's it's about there he makes fun of like all the power armored characters is really dumb it's it's real dumb they tried here's the thing here's the best way for me to describe it if you haven't played it but you've played the saints row series saints row three or four when you become president mm-hmm. and it's ridiculous over the top I think it's that four. knows it's over the top and ridiculous. Duke Nukem is not self-aware enough to know how ridiculous it is. And it tries to be like, guess what? You've probably, <laughs> you've probably never heard this humor before. Duke wants to be president. Guess what, Derek? The 69th president. Oh. And so that's how it feels to me. Saints Row knows it's dumb as hell, makes fun of the jokes, and leans into it heavily through the series. Duke Nukem attempts that in the worst way possible throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And that's... And Broussard's, what, like 70 years old by this point? <laughs> and he's still like, oh, 69. That's funny. Got him. Got him. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we wanted to give you a little little spice of life. Shake up, shake up all the good stuff we've been delivering <laughs> you and deliver you a little, little bubblegum action here. Uh, but Derek, we've talked about it a bit, but as always, tell the people why we truly chose this gem. And what do you think of it? Yeah. Um, I don't know why we picked this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, it it really is an interesting development cycle. Mm -hmm. It took way too long. It took 14 years. Obviously, it was supposed to come out in, I I believe, 99. Started in 97. Ish. um, Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. But it really, it is an interesting thing. I think that I have a truthfully i I don't have an issue looking at things in the context of their era conquer's bad fur day has tons of bad stuff in it that would never fly in a game released in 2022 but it wasn't released in 2022 and i can accept that and i can watch movies from the 90s or the 80s and the 70s or whatever even the early 2000s and be like hey yeah wow that wasn't really cool but understand that we're just in a different era now yeah this is a game that i think if it was released pre-2000 or early 2000s i just have a much different opinion of it but it wasn't and it took way too long for it to take that long and to be that hyped up by the people creating it i think that it really really needed to deliver 
and it didn't. I don't think it looks good. I think that it's got the same like browns and grays of the era, but without any of the visual qualities that made games like Gears of War and Halo great with those same browns and grays and all kinds of other weird things going on and, you know, other first-person shooter games from that era. I don't think the jokes are good. I agree that a lot of the jokes are really based on things that are way outdated and, you know, even us growing up in that era and probably understanding the jokes, it's like, kind of, come on, man. Like, this has been done. Like, yes. It's over. You get if you're going to do that, you got to be at least culturally relevant. So, I just think it fails on all fronts. I don't find this game interesting at all. Um, I'll give it a three out of a ten because it functions. Ish. It you know it's not a totally buggy mess. Yeah, but like a three out of a ten for me. What about you? Yeah, it's completed. Um, yeah, I mean, the game that never should and and. We really cho- chose it, obviously, we talked about the beginning, the interesting development cycle. I mean, I mean, what, what hell it was to get this to market, and what money was wasted, and what like careers were launched and kind of ended with it, being like, hey, this is my one portfolio piece of a game that has not come out and shifted engines 10 times. That's what I can bring to your game studio. So it, 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 it screwed everyone over, except for the creators, who screwed themselves over by spending $20 million of their own dollars and not recouping that. And it's just a failed project that genuinely only benefited Take-Two and Gearbox, who had terrible sales, but they invested little to no money into it because it was already invested in by these other people. So they actually turned a profit from it. And They just needed someone to come in and release it, just be like, yeah, yeah. good to go. Yeah, good to go. It it works. Yeah, and like you said, dated jokes, um, humor that we grew up. We grew up into more smart humor. You can still make crass humor smart, and it just didn't. It tried to be Duke of Old that did not spiritually succeed it whatsoever. Again, look at Saints Row. Saints Row, to me, especially the third and fourth one, are actually a better spiritual successor to Duke Nukem versus Duke Nukem Forever. In that ridiculous slapstickness, a bit of sexuality that's kind of, you know, like the, the dildo sword and stuff like that that's like over-the-top ridiculous, but it, but it does it in a way that fits modern times with it, that makes it funny, that doesn't degrade a lot with it, that, that, that Duke does yeah. in this one. All that, yeah. That that stuff with the, I don't know, the impregnation and and all that stuff is just yeah. It, it's it even at the time it came out it was kind of getting dated, and they brought it fourteen years later. So yeah, it, oh here's the thing: if I had to give this a rating, and Derek, I'm thinking back to you and I's childhood, um, or our Ooh. teenhood, I should say, um, okay. because one of Duke's famous lines, "I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum." You and I did a gum taste test. We did. A while back. <laughs> and we were paid so, for this. <laughs> we were paid for this. We played Pokemon on our DSs and we're paid for this. Oh, 150 oh bucks. God. To yep. taste gum. Duke, <laughs> get yourself a gum taste test. You know what? You know what? Uh, here's my other rating. Here's some packs of gums that I think are pretty good. Take five. 
Actually, it's a candy bar. Just five gum. Five gum. Really good. Can't go wrong with any Wrigley classics like Double Mint. Mm. Get yourself some chiclets. Duke, there's plenty of gum out there. Um, I'm not going to read this because this game's garbage. But I'm giving life <laughs> advice, Duke. As a gum aficionado um, who was paid to chew gum. You, you um, and I are, are legitimately professional <laughs> gum. We yes. have influenced the gum industry. We did. We influenced the gum industry. And what you're chewing today, we might have chewed before you. <laughs> that's, that's our tagline. Well, uh, <laughs> all so right. Duke, you keep kicking ass. And we'll keep supplying the gum. That's that's all I got to say for you, Duke. Yeah, and whatever keeps you docile and out of my console, Duke. <laughs> you did it. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for this episode was composed and recorded by our friend Evan Barr. And our artwork was provided to us by Aaron Shattuck. And... We did choose this episode because it was development hell, but it was also chosen by our Patreons, our Patrons, um, because this month was development hell, and this was the game that was chosen by them. So thank you for choosing that. We want to thank a few select members with Sky the Bear, Mr. Chaw, Nick Hyman, Mick Chief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, and Lee Tom John. If you want to check out more of our Patreon for a lot of extra bonus content and fun stuff, check it out in the links below. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. We're also on Discord. It's free to join. And Alex and I are hanging out all the time. We would love to see you there. Absolutely. And you can check us out over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. Or Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is thebakerman247. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please stop by, drop us a review. We love hearing from you guys, and it helps us out a lot. And that's been our unfortunate or fortunate coverage of Duke Nukem Forever. Did you play the game? What'd you think? But more importantly, what's another development hell game we should cover? Send it our way, drop in our DMs, drop in our Discord. May just cover on the next one. So, thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. Hey, you know what? I think you're saving face by using your real name on this one. <laughs> and this yeah. has been It yep. Is the Fight, a gaming <laughs> podcast. See you no, later. there's no way I'm tying anything other than, than me. <laughs> See you guys. Bye.